If you have a Bible, then turn with me to Ruth 4, if you would, uh, to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read that together. Brilliant. Are you with me? Ruth 4. So where we are, if you've not been with us, we've been uh, working our way through this story of this immigrant called Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the way that God provides for them through a man called Boaz. And uh, the provision of God, the providence of God, if you will. And where we left it um, a couple of weeks ago was that um, remarkably and absolutely unexpectedly, Ruth had done the unthinkable. So you kind of just want to keep on hearing. She's an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's an immigrant. And she's poor. And she's at the bottom of the social pile. And she has done something quite remarkable. She has proposed marriage to Boaz. It's just unthinkable. And uh, she went home. This was, uh, Naomi had said, go and see what, he'll, see what he'll do for us. But Naomi, Ruth did so much more than Naomi expected. And they went home. And... Um, I suppose the question was, what would happen? Would Boaz, this landowner, this uh, businessman, uh, who has his own estate, who would have had his own family, who would have his own affairs, would he be outraged by what could easily have been seen as someone trying to take advantage of him? Or would he accept Ruth and Ruth's outrageous proposal? Well, this is, we're going to read to the end. This is what happens. Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the kinsman redeemer he'd mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. And Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you won't, tell me so I'll know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and then I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the family guardian said, or the kinsman redeemer said, I can't, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Uh, in brackets, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. 
So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you're witnesses that I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you're witnesses. And then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a family guardian or a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He'll renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women lived there, said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon, it's easy for you to laugh. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. How does the story end? When you begin reading this little book of Ruth, tucked away there in the beginnings of the Bible, it feels like a relief because you've just been in the book of Judges, which has been dreadful really at times, and part of political um, arrangements, part of violence, part of fighting. And then you come across this little, beautiful little story of Ruth. And in some ways, it's easy to dismiss these little stories as insignificant as kind of not that, not that important, really. But this story is always bigger than you'd expect. It was always much more significant than you thought. It was always more glorious than you imagined. Because in this story, people were writing a new ending with a better storyline. And that's the phrase that for me just became really important as I was thinking about today. People who write a new ending with a better storyline. A new ending with a better... And I suppose my question is, in the time I have, which isn't a lot of time, is that possible for you? As we read this, can you? I think you might need to just push me on for some reason. Um, you're just going to have to keep up with me. It's a widening story. What happens is, in the part we just read, of course, all the main characters come back again. And I mentioned again, of course, Ruth, of course, Boaz. But Naomi, this mother-in-law of Ruth, who, if you remember, Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, those two characters, when there was a famine in the land, they went to Moab. 
And we talked about how bad it must have been to have to go to essentially a foreign country to emigrate. But in this last chapter, it all comes back. And in fact, including the nation as a whole, it becomes a widening story. In some ways, the worst way of reading chapter four is Boaz really wanted to have Ruth as his wife and they got together and they lived happily ever after. That's the worst way to read this chapter. Because that's a narrowing of a story. This is actually a widening of a story. It becomes much bigger than you ever might have imagined. So what happens? Well, can you go to the next slide? Boaz takes actions and the actions are really Boaz getting his hands dirty. It goes beyond vision. It involves action. And as I was reading, if you were just listening rather than following the Bible, it can feel a little dull, this chapter, because it's about legal stuff. The two things you need to just get your head around, probably, apart from the sandal bit, where even the writer who put Ruth together knew folks won't understand the sandal bit. So let me tell you about the sandal bit. But the two bits that you just need to keep in your mind are that Israel... From the earliest days, God had said, as a nation, I'm going to put in place a law that says, if something happens to you, the next part of your family, the next area of your family, will have a responsibility to look after you. And they will be called your kinsman redeemer. That'll be the title and they have a responsibility to get involved. Just keep that in mind. And secondly, the city gates. Boaz goes to the city gate because the city gates, it's just kind of like the time, but the city gate was like the town hall. And that's why Boaz goes to the city gate, sits down, gets 10 of the elders of the town to come and sit with him because he's going to say, we're going to do business here. In other words, he doesn't just have a vision for Ruth's life, he goes, I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get involved in legal stuff. It goes beyond good intentions to get involved in the law. It takes time and it takes procedure and it goes beyond economic sense. There's that brilliant moment where someone who is closer to Ruth and uh, Naomi than Boaz is, <laughs> Boaz, and it is almost comical. Boaz says, friend, Come and sit with me at the city gate. I've got a proposal for you. And Boaz does it brilliantly. He says, I'm going to buy some land off Naomi, but you could have the land if you invest in the land because you're closer than I am to that family. Would you like to buy the land? And the bloke goes, yeah, I'm buying land off a widow. <laughs> It's kind of like a no-brainer. Yes, I'll take her land. And then Boaz says, oh, and by the way, you're also, if you take the land, you've got to marry the foreigner. And the bloke goes, do you know what, that land? I'm not so sure I want that land anymore. And blokes have been doing that sort of thing ever since. <clears throat> he says, no, I don't want it because, he says, if I do that, I threaten my future. 
They have really big lungs, don't they, for a very small body. Because I guarantee, if I asked some of you to do that for that length of time, you would have broken by the time uh, you would have just run out of breath. Anyway, it didn't make economic sense. Boaz put his future at risk for the sake of a family. That's the point. Boaz put his own future at risk for the sake of a family with a history. Boaz was writing a new ending with a better storyline. But that doesn't just happen. It's not just, I've got a vision for that. It's not just, I've got a good intention for that. It's not, I'll do it if it makes sense. It's actually going to cost you. It's going to be difficult. But actually, if you want to write a new ending with a better storyline, it'll cost you. And what's God doing in all of this? It's kind of interesting that I said along the way that this book of Ruth, God's, in a sense, setting things up. It just so happens. It just so came about. It was just the fact that. And it almost feels like this coincidence. And we know those of us in the family of faith, we have a choice to make all the time, don't we? When coincidences happen... How do you explain those? And I don't mean how do you explain them away, but why do you think coincidences happen? Well, for those of us in the family of faith, what we want to say is coincidences happen because I think God's involved. Someone has said, I can't remember who said it, but uh, it just seems to be the case that more coincidences happen to me the more I pray. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. It just seems like it's a coincidence, but actually God's involved. What's God doing here in chapter 4? The one thing God does that's explicitly said is that when Boaz actually does marry Ruth, when they make love, the Lord enables Ruth to conceive. Ruth had been married before to a man who died and they'd not had any children. They couldn't. And this is really, this moment, they make love and the Lord enables Ruth to conceive. It's kind of like one of those holy moments. And those of you that have struggled with fertility know how many hours you've prayed and And those of you that have struggled with fertility and then got pregnant know that moment where you almost don't believe it. What's God doing? God does everything that Boaz couldn't do. You see, there's some stuff that Boaz could make happen, but there's some stuff you can't make happen. And God does what Boaz couldn't do. And I think there's a sort of like an interplay here about the Christian life. I think there's some stuff that God just expects us to do. You don't need to pray that your neighbor won't be lonely. That's kind of like a non-prayer. You don't need to pray about your neighbor who's lonely. You just need to knock on the door. You don't need to pray that actually 
you'll be a good dad and you'll spend time. I mean, I know we pray that God will help us, but actually what you need to do is put some stuff in your diary to go and do it. But there's some stuff that we know we can't solve. And actually, fertility is, is one of the things in the Old Testament particularly that it seems like it happens such a lot. It feels like once you start reading the Old Testament, and the, the stories in the Old Testament, you come across people after one, after another, after another, after another. We just can't have children. And it felt, it feels like such a, a regular account. And the heartache and the promise and God who does something that no one else could make happen. That's what God does. A God who creates new beginnings. And then you, you, when we were reading together, you get that moment where Naomi's in the town center and all the people go around and say, Naomi has a son. And, and some of you pedants would want to go, I don't want to be pedantic, but technically it's a grandson. <laughs> but Naomi had lost her sons. Naomi was the bitter lady who now comes and goes, do you know what? God didn't forget us. He didn't forget us in the famine. He didn't forget us when my sons died. He didn't forget us when my husband died. God is faithful. And the ladies in the, in the marketplace say, Naomi, you've got a son. There's a new ending with a better storyline so very quickly how do we make sense of this for ourselves someone wrote this the church must not think of itself in isolation instead it exists in a local context like a neighborhood to function as one part of the ecology of the community where it's placed so it's not, we're not thinking of ourselves in isolation. We exist as one part of the whole where we are. Once the church begins to think about itself primarily in isolation and designs its mission programs and structures for its own survival and self-glory, it loses its primary call to be a light in this world and an expression of the mission of God for the redemption of the world. It's, a tech, it's sort of like a, quite a long quote, but essentially it's saying, don't forget why you're here. You're not here for yourself. We are not here for ourselves. It's that thing of, let's not spend lots of time talking about what's the vision for our church. Let's actually talk about what's the vision for our businesses, for our streets, for our neighborhood, for the places that we have responsibilities. Think about that vision and then ask, how can the church get involved? Our job, our call, our challenge is in our neighborhoods and in our businesses and our families to write a new ending with a better storyline. That's why, and I've used this before, but our everyday decisions get written into God's big story. That's what was going on with Boaz, is everyday decisions were getting written into big, God's big story. You won't see the outcome of all these decisions. It's interesting how Ruth, the book of Ruth ends. It ends with whose? Let me get the family genealogy straight in my head. 
who's the grandson of Boaz? And it's David. Now, it's quite probable that Boaz never saw David. You than I, who know the Bible, know the big, big, big part that King David plays. But it's because one night in a threshing floor, when a foreigner took a remarkable action of saying, would you marry me? That King David is born. And because Boaz didn't go, who do you think you are? Because Boaz didn't go, I can't believe you just said that. What about my reputation? Blah, 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 blah. King David's born. I want to dare to believe that what will happen in eternity in part is you will finally hear why your life made sense. Why it was significant. Because most weeks, you get to the end of the week and you go, two things, eh? The older you get, where did that go? Yeah? It's nearly Christmas, folks. Really? I thought when I was just looking back, it was February. Time goes so quick. And secondly, does anything really count? And I think what will happen in eternity... And, and you get pictures of this in the New Testament where Jesus will offer rewards. Now, some Christians go, oh, I don't like the idea of that. Well, I do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Me and, <laughs> take this right. Me and Jesus, we're on the right side here. Because I want to know that it mattered. And the point is, you won't know here. You just do. The right things. And so you let your story, your decisions be shaped by a gospel story. Final thing I want to say, how does this work this week? It works in the midst of ordinary life. That you and I are able to write a new ending with a better storyline. That's what we're praying for your families. I want to pray that we'll write a new ending here with a better storyline than anyone would ever have imagined. When Naomi came back from Moab, she thought she knew how the storyline ended. And she said it ends in bitterness and isolation and aloneness. Ruth said, there's got to be more than that. Boaz said, there's definitely got to be more than that. And God said, there's going to be more than that. And sometimes we think we know how the storyline will end. And the story in Scripture goes, let God confound you. We run towards this future. And this week, between political leaders. Come Thursday, you'll have had your chance to decide and it's not easy is it let's be honest it's not easy I know we've all got our um, opinions and that's fine but it's actually just not easy is it if it were easy we wouldn't have all the sounds going around that we have if it were easy we wouldn't have had the conversation me and you have had over you know just with friends and family it's not easy 
What does it mean for the people who believe in the Lord to go? Can we, can we please pray that as a country, we'll write a better ending with a different storyline, a better storyline? Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the storyline that I think we've got. The storyline that goes, you can't trust anyone. That's what worries me the most. Is there a better ending? With a, is there a new ending with a better storyline? There has to be. There has to be. Because the storyline at the moment, wherever we sit on the political spectrum, is not great. Back in Ruth, just want to remind you that this story happens in between the judges and a king. The book of Ruth began in the days when the judges ruled. There was a famine in the land. And the final verse, the verse I read is, and Jesse was the father of David. You live, we live between judges, terrible times, and a king. And this story works out in between that. And right now, we live between the first advent and the second advent. The whole world is getting ready for Christmas. And so are we, let's be honest. Even got a tree up and everything. But actually, as Christians, that's not really what you're looking forward to. You can celebrate that. But actually what you're looking forward to is a second advent. That Jesus will come again. Now it's easier to prepare yourself to celebrate Christmas than it is to live wholeheartedly with the idea that Jesus is going to come again. And I'll tell you for why. Because you know how that storyline is. You don't know that storyline. But Paul will say, if it's only for this world that we have hope, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But actually, we've got a bigger hope to come because we're looking for a second coming. And it sounds, at this point, this is where you really sound bonkers as a Christian. But actually, without that, we know how the storyline is. But with that, there's a new ending with a better storyline. So for you and I, and for the next few weeks, we'll be here, there, and everywhere. You'll be celebrating with friends. You'll be getting families together. You'll be going to see families. You'll be coming back from families. And in some of those families, the big prayer is, God, is it possible for a better storyline than the one we've known? And the book of Ruth goes, yeah, it is. You can have a different ending. You can write the ending. Now, you can do certain things and only God can do certain things. But actually, will you begin to write a better ending? The better storyline. And I want to do that. I want to do it as a church. I want us to do that as we look into 2020. That's part of my goal is can we start writing different storylines? I want to do it in my family. I want to do it in the context where I'm placed, and that's what you're called to do too. Time's gone.
you want to just pray for a moment or two? I wonder if Mags and the, the folks can come back and just begin to play for us while we pray. If that's made sense for you, just take a moment. We won't do it out loud. We won't talk out loud. We're not getting feedback, not today. But if that makes any sense, that idea of, I wonder if you can go back to the first slide, just to get that phrase again. Back to the first slide. We're writing a new ending with a better storyline. And as they just play in the background, will you pray two things? That you'll know what actions to take and that God will do what you can't in your context. Think about the people you'd want that to be true for. Some of them will be really close to you. Pray for them. Pray that you'll know what to do. Pray that God will do what you can't do. start to sing this song as a song of uh, confidence in the one on whom we want to build our own lives and we want to build storylines we want to build new endings we want to build a whole new star Christ the cornerstone let's stand together